Hey there, everyone. Welcome back. We are coming to you with another Water Trio episode. I'm joined by my dear friends and colleagues, Alicia and Kelly, and I'm Cassandra. And today we're going to be speaking all things about Queen Elizabeth II. So as probably many of you know, she recently passed away. And so we thought this would make not only a great tribute to her life, but also a really great teaching example for working with charts. And one of the reasons the Queen in particular is a great teaching tool um, because she had a very long lifespan and public lifespan as well. And so it really does help to look back, research and test our techniques, which is primarily what we're going to be doing today. So I hope you enjoy it and let's get started. So we're going to uh, start by putting up the chart. Okay. So Alicia, if you want to take the helm and put her chart up, if you've got that. So those who are watching can see um, the birth data. I think Kel's on that one, aren't you, honey? Okay, yes. Are you? Oh, Kel's that on that. Yes, there we go. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. No, that's So what we've got okay. here is April 21, 1926 at 2.40 a.m. in London. So uh, we can see, of course, there's Capricorn rising and the MC there is at 25 of Scorpio. So the first thing that I personally notice when I see this chart is that uh, the ruler of the ascendant is conjoined her midheaven. So there's a real connection between who she is and what she does out in the world. So often when you see this in clients' charts is that they're very, uh, there's maybe not a lot of separation between who they are and what they do. Uh, whether that is in a public reputation manner or in terms of their career. So I often would see that as not someone who can uh, maybe work a nine-to-five job and then do something separate on the side. They're very much what they do is an extension of who they are. Do you girls see that as well? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And especially because there's an aspect there yes. as well, quite a tight aspect, that sextile aspect. It makes it oh, even. There we go. Yep. Yeah, Even from, from the Ascendant like, to that Midheaven. There's two. Yes. Yeah. It is. It's very and, tight. What were you going to say? And it's also Saturn in Scorpio. So it's not going anywhere mm. fast. No, it's no. that really strong fixed energy. And in reality, she's got quite a lot of fixed energy in her chart full stop. I mean, yes, she's a cardinal rising with the Capricorn rising, but, you know, that Scorpio midheaven is ruled by Mars in Aquarius, you know, mm. this, another fixed sign, you know, she's all about ideals and ethics and that kind of bigger picture humanitarian energy there, the moon in Leo, and of course that very early Taurus son of hers too. So, you know, that's a lot about who she was in her, you know, how she thought and how fixed she was in that way, but also the long life that she lived, mm. having, you know, the ascendant ruler and the moon too, very much about, you know, how life and body and vitality in that fixed sign of Leo too. Do you girls find that people with moon and Leo tend to be quite, you know, my husband's got uh, Leo um, health planets and he just can fight off or burn off anything um there is a sense that there's a lot of vitality in that what do you guys do you find that too yeah it can you can it can benefit from like the vital force of the sun um mm. sometimes it'll depend on 
maybe aspects and things like that. But, you know, this moon in her chart, perhaps not making great aspects per se, but she mm-hmm. clearly was very long lived and had that very, that sort of constitution that just pushes through things and doesn't get taken down by things. I mean, that's five of the visible seven planets, like five out of seven, all in fixed placements in her chart. Mm. Um, So there's a real, I imagine, I mean, obviously never met her personally, but I imagine (laughs) she was pretty stubborn too. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I mean, um, you know, even just from the moon and the body, she never changed her physical appearance. Uh -uh. Yeah. Her hair never changed. And what I like. Suits. The only thing she changed was the color, not the cut. (laughs) (laughs) When you find something that fits, you stick with it. Um, And having the moon as the sect light, I think, you know, when you see a lot of fixed, a lot of Saturn, which we do have that signature there, and even the mid heaven and the, you know, the ruler of the ascendant is also within the Egyptian terms of Saturn. So it's, you know, got that Mm. double Saturn energy. And sometimes when there's a lot of Saturn, it really brings that cold dryness, um, which can sometimes be a little bit um, fragile. But having that fire moon adds a bit more warmth and heat and brings a little bit more of a spitfire quality to her, like that sort of engine, you know, in the like a coal engine, you know, just keep adding the coal and it will just keep those fires burning. And, I mean, when you think about it, um was it like two days before she died she Mm. was you know welcoming the new prime minister and when you look at those photos her hand you know is Mm. kind of black just from old age nearly and but still got her hair done and her smile on like there was just nothing that kind of really I mean obviously there were some uh periods of her life that there was a storm cloud or two but she was unstoppable Well, and I think with the moon, it's not just what strikes me about the moon. It's so important because it's the sect light, because it's a night chart, as you girls have said, and it is in Leo, which adds all the wonderful things you're talking about, but it's also a first quarter Mm. Leo moon. Mm. So that is a moon, you know, that quadrant of the moon's phase is that kind of summer fiery. It's very dynamic. It's very bold. It's very energetic. It's very determined. So that phase of the moon, I see really reiterates or strengthens a lot of the qualities that we would uh, get from the moon being in Leo as well. And from a physical health perspective, that first quarter moon is just, it is kind of unstoppable. You know, it gives Mm. that really, it gives a fiery spirit, even when the moon isn't in a fire sign. So when you have that fiery first quarter moon spirit uh, held in a moon, which is also in a fire sign, it's very, um, uh, there is a real sense of of drivenness or you know staying course of that of that energy there yeah you bring a good point up there kel as the beholder of a first quarter moon i've often found it personally and with other first quarter moons i know and read for there can be this feeling that if you don't have your hand on the wheel and your foot on the gas then everything crumbles around you it's sort mm-hmm. of like you has to be that person that has the pedal to the metal kind of thing. And when you take a break, everything kind of falls around you. And if you think about it, um, Queen Lizzie took over when the sort of at a real decline of the British Empire. And so um, with this signature in a chart, she would have felt, you know, her duty, as she would say, kind of to really 
um, you know, keep that pedal to the metal in terms of the monarch and mm. the history and, and for England. So, you know, you know, it was like her had to have that, her hands on the wheel. And it wasn't like she got to a point in her life and just sort of said, well, I've done enough, Charles, I'm passing the baton on to you. That mm. wasn't going to happen with this signature. Yeah. Um, no, no. I, and I think, you know, the comment that I would add to what you were both saying earlier about the ascendant ruler on the mid heaven, uh, you know, that's someone, particularly with the sign combinations we have, the Capricorn and Scorpio, that sense of once I make a commitment, I'm sticking it through. I, I call this mm. like the jobs for life sort of signature. Mm. Um, and you, you girls mentioned the aspect of the Saturn to the ascendant. And the aspect that also catches my mind on that is that um, Mars, the ruler of the midheaven, is in aspect to Saturn, the ruler of the ascendant. Jupiter is there too. And we'll touch on that in a moment. I've got, I think I've got it. Well, I find it interesting what I think goes on about that Jupiter, but the fact that the ascendant ruler and the midheaven ruler are an aspect is just further tying. I am my work. My work is who I am. There's not really any separation no. between um, the identity and the individual or their career or their public role, with, which was, and this is a very strong example of that. Um, mm. Yeah. So many great points. Oh my God, you gals. And like, <laughs> what else do we want to say at this point? <laughs> well, I think I wanted to point out as well that South Node conjunct <laughs> the ascendant there. You know, I think it's a really, often this can be where a person has a more hidden life or they lose their sense of self to something. And really, you know, her sense of identity was lost to the crown. I always wondered actually how much of Elizabeth did we ever really see? And I know that as a child she was quite shy, mm -hmm. which, you know, the South Node, and she really didn't want to step into the role, you know, and whereas her sister. And neither did her father when, no. you know, he, he had to take over from his brother. Which often is where it makes great leaders, you know, because they are humble, you know, they're not in it for the power. Um, but her sister, for example, would have, you know, she Margaret. really wanted it. Yes. So I, I think it's that sense there of that invisibility and not self-ambition. Her ambition was duty. You know, her ambition was, as you said, Cass, it was about nation, you know, putting that first. And I think as well, with that South Node on the Ascendant, it often marks a life of uh, spiritual causes or doing things towards a spiritual end. And this is, you know, she was the head of the church, the Church of England as the Queen and ordained by God as, as was seen in this way. So there is that sense of doing things on behalf of a higher power down here on the planet, you know, that South Node in Capricorn, that energy there too. Yeah, and um, in her speech in 1957, which was the first one, that her Christmas speech that was broadcasted, um, you know, one thing that she really honed in on was um, sort of traditional values of morality and duty, you know. Mm. <laughs> and, you know, obviously, you know, the traditional side, the Capricorn themes are coming through, but also, um, you know, the Mars, Saturn doing your duty from a higher purpose, you know, the Jupiter or a, got from a godlike perspective and the uh, sort of, you know, ethics and morality around that. So she sort of in, you know, a lot of uh, the actions and her speeches, she'll often you know, she speaks her own chart, even though she most likely never knew it. Yeah. Mm. 
And I find that Capricorn cancer push-pull of the nodes there, you know, because, of course, mm. the cancer is on the descendant. There is this pull between is it duty or is it parenthood, you know, is it mm. being out in the world or is it being at home, which I think is a lot of her life. And I think, you know, in her later years she became a really devoted grandmother because she saw that she put aside, especially her first children, to her duties. You know, I I think you know that first trip that they came on out to this side of the world didn't they go south africa and new zealand and australia when charles was a baby and left him behind Mm. yeah i can't Mm. imagine what that must have been like as a mother to have to Mm. make that choice um and and she did a lot but i know that you know when she got older her whole life became about her children which i see a lot with the kind of nodal journey you know we often We'll stretch into that north node, we become more and more hungry. It's where we live into more as we get older. Yeah, and one of you, Alicia, I think you mentioned her sister before as well mm. as someone who perhaps was more interested in the glitz or the the royal sort of um, thing, you know, and when you were saying, I wonder how much of like the real Queen Elizabeth we got just from seeing sort of the... Mm. the working queen, if you like, I got the sense that she would have been happy with her horses, you know, yeah. in the country. Her you know, if that had been her life as a, as a country woman, um, had yeah. she not had this duty and the horses and the sister are two things that I think are really interestingly represented in this chart. And that's where the Jupiter's doing quite a few things in this chart mm. because it's part of that Mars square dynamic and it is adding a little bit of that royal sort of abundance or decadence or extravagance in addition to perhaps the work of the Mars Saturn. But Jupiter also rules the third house of siblings in this chart mm-hmm. and the 12th house, um, which can sometimes be about horses, uh, larger mm-hmm. animals, yes. you know, large larger animals, animals yeah. 12th house. Yeah. Yeah. So literal. And, right. And Jupiter, so you can sort of see there's this, well, this is what I want to do, Mars, Midheaven, Ruler, Conjunct, Jupiter, but that Jupiter is kind of in a bit of a maltreatment between Mars mm. and Saturn. It's kind of slammed in there between the two from a technical perspective. And it's something that looks like it gets um, denied or has to come after other things. So yes, we know she still, you know, was passionate about her horses and rode and, um, you know, was involved in horse racing and things like that. Um, But it wasn't the main thing, you know, she didn't get to choose that as her profession. And then of course, the story with her sister, who she was quite close to, but For those of you who've seen The Crown, you'll probably be familiar with this particular plot piece where she denied her sister being able to marry the man that her sister was in love with. So Mm. that idea of like having to deal with sibling things, Jupiter ruler of the third, but in that Mars Saturn kind of maltreatment way where there is a bit of a sort of a denial or a blocking um, rather than a, you know, giving into everything, if you like. Yeah, because Jupiter's, you, did you say this, Kel, Jupiter's besieged in the chart? I use the word maltreatment, but same thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, same yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's like conjunct one malefique, square the other, and kind of stuck in between the two. Mm. In between. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so many things. Um, and it's interesting because Princess Margaret also has Saturn on the midheaven. <clears throat> so, you know, she may have been able to sort of see herself as being able to do what her sister could do as well. So 
you know, and there's a similar kind of nodal situation. Obviously, it's different signs, but Margaret had it, um, the North Node in the first. So that would speak to perhaps a little bit what she was hungry for. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so interesting. So did anybody, uh, either of you have any other particular sort of key feature points you wanted to bring out about the chart before we look into some timing stuff? No, I think the only summary statement I would add is that we mentioned all the fixed placements, but the interpretive piece that that can indicate is, you know, that longevity or that enduringness. So whether it's Mm -hmm. in a long lasting relationship or a long lasting career, it's that sense of like the fixed and focused. Like once we get into it, we kind of see it through until the end. Um, Just Mm -hmm. for other people who might be watching and thinking, oh, I've got a lot of fixed planets. Um, But the technical piece that I think really gives this fixed veneer in the chart is that the ruling planet of the Ascendant and the ruling planet of the Midheaven are both Mm. fixed signs. Um, So that really adds an anchoring because you can have a lot of planets in fixed signs, but if those two planets, the ruling planet of the Ascendant, ruling planet of the Midheaven aren't, you might get a slightly different tone coming out. Mm. And I, I just want to mention, I know we haven't talked about like the Venus or the Sun but we might bring that up in the timing piece unless either of you guys want to say something on other pieces. Well, it just doubles down on the fixity, doesn't it? That sun does, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And even the fact that the descendant, like three of the angles are ruled by planets in fixed signs. So it's Mm. just that IC that gets that, you know, Venus in Pisces, which shows, you know, I think in another way that there was this really soft side to her but she didn't show it to the world you know that maybe she showed to her family or her children you know that I see there in the fifth but the world didn't really see that I I wonder if that was you know what happened with Andrew in many ways was that Venus in Pisces wasn't really able to draw the boundaries that were needed um, earlier yeah, and I her also softness think... or her kind of like forgiving nature in those mm. situations where maybe that might be questioned. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I also think the fact that the ruler of the IC is in an exalted position in a night mm. chart, but the IC itself is on Algol. So mm. that sort of, yes, there may be uh, privilege or elevation or exaltation, but there's also a lot of stress or difficulty or challenge or problems uh, that derive from, you know, her family members, her children, because the IC is placed in the fifth, but also what she comes from, you know, from an ancestral lineage, um, Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. So while there's also great heights, there's also some problem uh, areas with that. So uh, yeah, there's a few uh, indicators there that you know at some level it could be easy to sort of see all the Venus and Pisces, perhaps some of the glitz and the glamour and the jewels. But when you are sort of by virtue of bought um, birth, born into something that you know maybe you don't always personally like or um, you know, even want to be a part of to the extent that the queen ended up having to be, because, you know, she was kind of uh, not in direct succession, there's always perhaps, um, you know, that stress or that worry, which she may not have personally experienced because maybe she was just such a, a get-goer and moving forward, but I could imagine how that would have uh, maybe 
provided some potential marital problems um, or, um, you know, even with her own children having to be born into something like I was actually never meant to do this, but my mother kind of chose it in a way or, or took it over. So, you know, obviously I'm embellishing about things I, I don't really know, but I can imagine that that could also have been a sore point for the family as well. Mm. Yeah. For sure. And then I agree with all those points. And I think what you're really getting at, Cass, is separate to the specifics of Queen Elizabeth's, you know, family life and, and situation that you might see a mixed kind of placement like this in the chart where we've got mm. something ruled by an exalted planet, but it could be with a fixed star that's quite challenging, or maybe it's got, you know, a planet near it that's quite difficult. And you do get, you know, one doesn't cancel the other out. Yes, there's extreme wealth and there's certain like privilege, for instance, you know, never have to worry about paying the rent or the mortgage kind of thing, but having, you know, stress or pressure come through other factors. One other piece of the Algol myth that has really resonated with me the more I've sort of got to know this star a little bit is the feminine power aspect mm, of it. And that kind point. of and protection. Yeah. That yeah. real sense of like female strength and women, mm. you know, the mm. power of the feminine being maybe um underestimated or um dismissed and it's interesting that obviously she was a woman that took on a role that um England has had queens before obviously Queen Victoria and the first Queen um Elizabeth but it was interesting that she really just part of her um stubbornness know, was I'm going to do it myself yeah and yeah. It, it was it was that she she didn't deny that she you know that, that I don't know there's something about the female like she was a woman like she was a woman doing this role she was you know particularly in the first half of her reign through um the 50s 60s and 70s when she would have perhaps been the only woman when she was dealing with certain heads of state and certain and she wasn't know, particularly educated like neither she was educated at home, so it's not to my, be a lady yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But um, you know, there's a um a thread with the Algol piece there when she was coronated and she was asked what name will she rule under, and she was like, "My own, of course." <laughs> you know what I mean? Which so was she, not <laughs> typically what was done. No, yes. they would so, adopt a name. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. which is um, you know, kind of powerful. You know, when you're still a young woman in an age where women didn't take leadership roles and to really sort of stake her claim. Well, that is, I mean, I know the 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 Queen's role and the royal family, you know, there's a lot of things that they're exploring how to answer for. But that feminine streak is really interesting to me. She had a lot of power as a woman at a time in society where most women didn't have any power. Most yeah. women couldn't get a just bank the sandwiches on their own like they couldn't mm. do anything without a man yeah. kind of signing off and mm. I, I do think it's that's an important contribution that her in this role at that point of time through history and that being a woman for all yeah. of those decades I think that's mm. that's an important piece you know and I think something about the IC is just so foundational it's the slab of your life you know you can build a house and think about all the pretty fixtures you're going to put in it but if that slab isn't solid then you know this the fixtures are not going to remain but you know having that 25 degrees I see there was something very strong and powerful within her spirit in a way 
And I think as well with the myth of Medusa, you know, which is is linked to Algol, it was through something hard and harsh that, you know, she became Medusa. You know, that's something that it was, wasn't a role that she chose. It was a role that she was pushed into, the um, person who became. Mm. And I think that speaks to Elizabeth and her life as well. It wasn't necessarily a role that she chose or that she wanted to have, but she was in the, she was actually the perfect person for it to be able to get there and do it. So, you know, tapping into that raw creative feminine power that Medusa links into is, um, yeah, that kind of sense of, okay, I didn't choose this, but I'll make the most of it with what I've got. Mm. So literally the head of state. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> should we, yeah. should we, you know, in and terms of country states. and foundation. Yeah, yeah. Because, yeah exactly. You know, as Australians, you know, and I'm, I'm a dual citizen, Australian and, and Canadian, and the Queen is the head of state in both of those countries. You know, it's her mm-hmm. head on the money and the postage stamps and things like that. And mm. it is yeah, and uh, Yeah, and, you know, even, um, you know, having served in the military, you swear allegiance to her when you join it. So, yeah. you know, you work, not, I don't think it's as common anymore, but you walk into government buildings or RSL clubs and things like that, yeah. um, you know, she's everywhere. Yeah, a lot of my elderly clients talk about that. That's the thing, you know, for them, her face was everywhere when yeah, they were we young. grew up with her. Yeah. She was all yeah. our symbolic grandmother in a way. Yeah. So, should we move on got to some, some timing. Uh, few timing yes. things yes. now that and we've got a bit of a feel for the chart? The chart, and I feel like Leash, you have one from childhood that's relevant. Do, should we start there? Yeah. So, you know, there was uh, the tenth of December, nineteen thirty-six, was when her uncle Edward the Third abdicated the throne, and so at that period of time, Elizabeth was in. And she was 10 years old. So she was in an 11th house perfection year. So this highlights, of course, her Mars as her time lord, but it also highlights the Saturn and the MC there in the 11th house. So it's it's like she went from being, you know, the spare heir, um, as you were calling it earlier, Kel, to the heir apparent. And it was suddenly overnight, you know, with, which was not expected. She was shifted into this role. So... I thought it was really interesting. And at that same period of time, Saturn was in Pisces conjuncting her Venus, which, you know, Saturn ruling her IC, I'm sorry, Venus ruling her IC, as we've just been talking about, but also in whole sign houses ruling that 10th house too. So it's like your career has now been decided. You know, Saturn mm-hmm. has come in and solidified and strategized where you're going to go for the rest of your life. So I thought that was a really interesting kind of mix there of perfections and uh, what's highlighted. Well, and Cass, you mentioned before we started recording too that her lot of spirit is three Taurus, which means yeah. part of fortune and a lot of spirit are both Venus ruled as well. And so mm. that Saturn transit to Venus, which would have been the first Saturn transit to Venus in her life, becomes so pivotal because Venus is ruler of spirit and fortune. And because mm. this is... That's one of the reasons I find the timing in this chart so interesting is that it was almost like a quirk of fate that she ended Mm. up in the role that she did Um, because had the sort of intended order of things, Edward would have married, I guess, 
an approved person and had <laughs> children with them and the line of succession would have gone down through Edward's family. But, you know, the big drama that paid out in 1936, Edward wanted to be with Wallace and Wallace was divorced and how could that be allowed in, in the time? Uh, and Ed, Edward made the decision, I'll, I'll, I'll choose love, not duty. And that mm. George, Elizabeth's dad, stepped in. And so I think this is a really pivotal year. And I don't know, do you guys find this when you're working with clients that when they perfect into the house that has the midheaven in it, that it becomes, I find it, it, it can be important in the context of one's career or job, but it really, the midheaven is so much more than just that. It's how we move forward in the world. It's sort of the, the momentum and sometimes the pathway that our life or the trajectory of our, of our life. And this was such an interesting example for me when you pointed it out, Leish, I thought it was, it's just fantastic. Yeah. And there was so something like, else, wasn't it around that time you were saying um, about her corgis? Or was that a little bit older? Oh no, that was a little bit older. But then okay. the next one that I wanted to point out was the year that she met Philip. That's yeah. And that's a good one. That was really sweet because she was so young, wasn't she? You know, she was and it's yeah, and it really speaks to that um, moon there. You know, ruling her her cancer area. You know, yeah. her seventh house, meeting her a future partner at a very young age, and you know, I think when I've heard it spoken of or read it in biographies, she knew even then. Oh yes, yes. Yes, it's that he would be the love of her life. Yeah, and, and there was I love never that... really anyone else for her. I don't think. No, and if we look at Philip's chart, he also has that moon in Leo too. Um, so this was a second house perfection year for her. Yeah. Um, but you know, which highlights Jupiter. Yes, Saturn is the time lord, but Jupiter's there, yeah. and so transiting Jupiter was try in Aries trying to her moon, but also trying to Philip's moon mm. as well. So he has a 15 degree um Leo moon. So there was just so this they lovely had sense. Moons. Yeah. Yeah. And also so, doesn't he have Venus at um early Taurus? Like on her sun? Yes, he does. Yeah. yeah. So there is that really nice, yeah, um, mm. that nice connection between the two of those. That was the yeah. And it's in his 10th house. Her son falls in his 10th house. So, but that's just a nice kind of nod to symmetry between the two of them. You know, when you have moons that are in the same sign as a partner, you're often comforted and feel secure and stable around the same things. You know, what you what you need to feel nurtured and really loved um, are very similar. So it can be a really nice signature to have. And the fact that they both had that similar transit, really helped. Mm. And then I imagine they had some good uh, fights too. Two moon in Leos, yeah. like both trying to call the shots or pull rank or something, so to speak. Which was demonstrated yeah. really beautifully in The Crown. You know, there yeah. was a few arguments in season one when they were yeah. sort of probably a bit younger and feistier with each other and also managing their new life, you know. Um, yeah. You know, and, and he's a Leo uh, rising, so he, and him, he's very fixed too. And him struggling to find a role, you know, mm. that Leo part of him needed to have mm. his own level of visibility. And, um, 
you know, rather than just kind of, you know, always having to walk behind your wife in those days would not have been an easy thing to do. It's so interesting, those dynamics. And of course, as you mentioned earlier, Cass, we can only speak to things that are on public record and there, you know, there may be yeah. things, there's a lot that obviously we don't know behind the scenes. Um, it's not totally dissimilar to the work that you might do in a session with a client where when you have the client, of course, they'll share things with you, but they may not share everything. And in the time you have, of course, you don't get all the the, the details. So uh, sometimes it is a, a case of like sort of going with what you can at the time. Yeah. Okay, more timing stuff. What, do we want to go to 1992 or is there anything else? Yes, then? I think 1992 is great because then it oh. really relates quite yeah. well to 2022. Leish, did you want to do something before then? Well, I just wanted to talk about their marriage. Oh, yeah, you know, their marriage. And how in do you want 19- to put both their charts up or anything like that or is that too tricky? Yeah, I could. I could put up their, I think I've actually got their bywheel. I don't have their bi wheel easily. But even well, even just two separate charts, and then we can look on the screen or what have you. Um, I just didn't have Prince Philip's chart with oh, because he was a Gemini. I was trying to think about what is his sun sign. So he was a Gemini, I think, with Mm. um the moon in Leo. That's very different from being a Taurus with the moon in Leo, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, very different. Very but um, he was, you know, just speaking on that while we look for the chart, it, you know, he was a real, um, you know, he was a real encourager and a coaxer and a goader for the queen to evolve and change. And though even though he wasn't the star of the show, she was, but he was a real pivotal figure about putting her on the TV for that first Christmas message um, and having... I think at one point the BBC went into Buckingham Palace and they did a little bit of a, you know, come in, you know, he made their life a little bit more public than what it had ever been before because he had that adaptability to move with the times in a way she didn't quite have. So I think even though they were fundamentally different being Taurus and Gemini, it kind of had enough similarity with those moons to be able to, you know, Obviously, there would have been tension, of course, but he added some flexibility or adaptability that helped her to change. Obviously, not quickly, but, you know, it certainly helped a little bit. Really good point, Cass. And I think, too, about the Gemini and the technology as well, like that Mm. sense of the modernising through whatever technical advancements were relevant for the time. We don't necessarily think about that with uh, TV today, but in the 1950s, TV Mm. was not everybody had a TV in their house. No, many people bought one just to see like her coronation back in the day, or maybe it was the Christmas message. I can't quite remember now. I think that the coronation was was the first (laughs) one televised or something that I do think the coronation was televised. And it was yes, within it was. her lifetime that speeches and broadcasts actually became way more public because even her father, you know, in that famous movie, The King's Speech, she was alive then, you know, so the fact that that speech got broadcast to a much wider audience than before then it would have literally just been who was in front of them. So mm-hmm. in her lifetime it became that kind of, okay, from being able to physically touch who was around them to being able to be all over the world 
um, was a huge change. And I, I think that that actually speaks to her cardinal angles as well, that she was able to kind of go with things, um, you know, to kind of when she saw the, the point of doing it, it was important that she knew she had to go. Um, but, yeah, I think as well with Philip, he learned that adaptability because of what he went through as a child, um, which is that speaks to that Mars piece there, Mars in Gemini ruling his IC. You know, he had to learn to very quickly adapt from a situation where they were a royal family to being exiled uh, and moved mm. away. So that, you know, that combust Mars there next to his son, I think, speaks a bit to exile as well. Yeah, and the sort of displacement that that can that goes with that, you know, and mm. not everybody, you know, that would be looking at charts for is a royal figure who might be exiled from the country where they had perhaps power or influence or financial stability. But that kind of placement, you know, would describe uh, people who might end up perhaps in refugee or immigration situations or, you know, leaving one part of the world, their home place to go elsewhere, you know, that sort of instability and and the place where you've come from not being a place that you can stay, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So the only thing I wanted to point out, Kel, if you want to share her chart again yeah. um, in terms of the marriage was just that at that period of time, I mean, they both would have had Pluto conjunct their moons. Um, but for her, of course, that moon is ruling her seventh Seven. house. And what was the date the marriage was in So the 20th of November, something? 47. 47. Okay. So Pluto and so she was in Leo on the moon. Yeah, Got it. and she was in a 10th house perfection year. So, you know, this marriage was part of what was lifting her up. I felt like, you know, what was part of helping her, you know, it, I think it's very interesting that she died not long after Prince Philip. Mm. You know, there wasn't like she, like her um the queen mum, as we called her, her mother who long, lived long after. You know, it was almost like he was really that wind beneath her wings in many ways. And also she just had a progressed new moon um when they got Gemini. married yeah mm. so she just a few months before then so it really shows that she's in a, a whole new life a whole new yeah. cycle relationship um, cycle in particular exactly mm. yeah it's interesting you brought up the reputation stuff leash can obviously in this case it's quite obvious but um mm. I can't remember which author but one of the traditional authors it's um, explained in Deb Holdings' um, Temples of the Sky book where the 10th house in one of the uh, authors does speak to the 10th house as being a house of marriage mm. because it yeah. traditionally does change your reputation. You become the wife of so-and-so or, you know, and you change your name. And so in the modern day it's like, well, if you've got an established career in your maiden name, do you then go change your name when you get married and have to, you know, have a different name publicly so yeah you do um, and so you do see that a lot because marriage mm. is uh you know not not each not necessarily do, do both people change their names but in addition to the name change marriage also confers different responsibilities and status and tax mm. obligations often so there's a lot of things that you know you tick a different box on forms and things like that and, yeah. you know, in many countries, taxes are filed differently and you're treated differently. So there's a lot of things that do change that kind of speak to those public 
titles or roles, even for everyday mm. people that are um, sort of conferred upon us at at marriage, for instance. And so that's always sort of made sense to me, even though I know sometimes students get a bit confused about it. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. So 1992, huh? Or do we want to talk about the coronation quickly? I think we should jump to 1992 from the standpoint that it's, you know, people will remember that. It's a really key rule. Yeah. Yeah. So did you want to take that one away, Leash? I think Kel was the one who oh, you're had going to all do it. The... Okay. Oh yeah, I can speak. I can definitely set us up. Sorry, Plenty there of is a little to bit talk of... about that. Can one, you guys isn't hear it? the background noise that's just kicking in here? Well, it's raining here, so there's noise here okay. as well. Okay, great. <laughs> um, I'm so glad. So, 1992, the Queen at the end of the year, the Queen gives a speech and she calls 1992 her Annus Horribilis, one of the horrible year, and she'd been through quite a few difficult things by that point in time um but this year you know she decided to sort of name as basically her worst year ever and that always intrigued me from a timing perspective and Mm. uh you know what was going on timing wise so I'll do a couple of quick things timing wise give the quick bio summary and then we go into it more her progressed venus had come to that 25 26 marker of taurus so the progressed venus was now on our goal and so she's dealing with some of the the stresses or pressures or challenges or perhaps difficulties that we do sometimes see with our goal uh and that um progressed venus on the ic in the fifth house on our goal um a big part of that was tied to IC and fifth house things. So three of her four children either separated or divorced that year. For a woman who is, as you mentioned, Leish, the head of a religious order that doesn't really kind of approve of divorce, divorce. this mm. was, you know, really against the grain kind of thing. I'm not saying that I agree with that, but I'm just saying that's what caused her stress at that point in time. And if we think about it, even the fact that she was in the position she was in because of that, like if if divorce had been accepted, then Edward would have been able to be king. She would never have been queen. You're 100% right, Leash. That's a really insightful point about the role that divorce had played Mm -hmm. in her life because it was because Wallace was a divorcee that Edward couldn't marry her and be king. Yeah. Very, very interesting. And she was demonized. Wallace was demonized. Absolutely. In many yeah. ways. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, three of her four children, I think um, Anne and Andrew divorced and Charles separated. He and Diana like officially separated that year, even though it had been a bit rocky for a while. That was when the separation really happened. And one of her one of her favorite castles had a big fire and was really damaged. And that always sort of boggles my mind to say one of her favorite castles, <laughs> quite extreme. Um, but we see the connection to the IC. Mm-hmm. And the other piece, there's so many layers to the timing at that point in time, because you can bring in all the transits. But the other progression I'll just add is that the progress moon phase at that point was full moon. And so mm. we get these difficulties going on, but they're very public. And mm. I don't know about you gals, but, you know, I remember, you know, having grown up oh. in Australia, which was, you know, still a Commonwealth country, the press, you know, the the, the stories about mm-hmm. what was going on with Andrew and Fergie or what was happening with Charles and Diana. I mean, it wasn't quiet, subdued, behind the scenes, done in private. It, it was, was everywhere. It was splashed everywhere. The, the tab- mm. I mean, the British tabloids, I guess, were 
were part and parcel of that. I mean, well, wasn't so that many, the year like, the biography came out that that talked Andrew about Martin? and they real yes that talked about did, you know everything going on that Charles was still seeing Camilla and that Diana had tried to commit suicide and you know that was all she part did that and big interview as well. You know, she yeah, was that 92? I'm not sure if that was all 1992, but it, it was certainly connected. All, yeah. Maybe the book was and the interview was. I'm not, I don't know those two. The, those book, particular the book came out in 92, yeah. 92, okay, yeah. yeah. So, I think that was June, July, 92, so it's all, yeah. It's almost like all the family secrets coming out yeah. into, into the open, if you like. And it was a seventh house perfection year as well for her. So it was very obvious, you know, what was going on, you know, this angular perfection house. It's like you can't kind of hide what is happening at that period of time. Yeah. You know, ruled by her moon in the eighth house there. You know, all the all the dirty laundry was being aired. I mean, I'm always very curious. I would love to know more about her marriage with Philip in terms of mm. like what you know went on behind closed doors but that's just we'll never know (laughs) Um, so what else do you girls want to say about this 1992 are there other um timing factors or anything that you want to mean you know well Saturn is you know yeah yeah Mars and Jupiter you know it's 30 years ago so literally she gave that speech 30 years ago it will be horribilis yeah Yeah. it was in uh, Mm. the 24th of November I believe she gave that speech so it's literally 30 years um and so yeah there was those timing factors as well oh yeah because with transiting Saturn there in like 1990 would have been 91 92 uh, then and now, now so we we had the Saturn opposing the Moon, so all the relationship pressure. Then when it happened this time round, it was actually the death of her spouse, and then mm. her own physical health challenges. Like, don't forget, you know, like the Mars being career and kind of life direction planet Saturn going over Mars. Maybe in the early nineties, there was a perhaps that sense of pressure and stress and responsibility, and how do we navigate this? And this time, it was actually the end for her. Mm. Yeah. And also, it's that you know Saturn is her chart ruler, so that was Saturn square Saturn, mm-hmm. and it just shows how that tension and that challenge, and what that often that first Saturn square can be like of, okay, what foundational things did she start to create under that second Saturn return of hers that well, actually that would have been her, yeah, her second, yeah, um, that, that was... were being pressured, you know, at that period of time, what 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 was being questioned, what was being challenged, what choices uh, was she starting to see the consequences of? That was in 1985 when she would have had that Saturn return, wasn't it? So I can't think off the top of my head. In the um the 80s, yeah, it, it would have been like 1985. Yeah, yeah, it was 85. So yeah, I'm not sure what choices that she made at the, around that period of time, especially with Diana um, and what was happening, because we know that 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 was when a lot of the underground stuff was going on between Charles and Diana it was becoming more and more public but yeah that that kind of stress and tension of square aspects yeah really fascinating and I do feel like even though we've maybe hit some of the highlights there's so much more that can be explored or said or discussed and of course we don't have six days to run through everything that you know was significant in the life of somebody who lived to be 
was she 95 or 96? 96. 96. Amazing. Long time. Well, great. Is that the end? Hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> we certainly <laughs> loved uh, we loved looking into all of it for you. So in order to wrap up, uh, maybe if both of you would like to talk about what you might have in the pipeline or anything that you would like to let our listeners know what you have got going on. Do you want to go first, Leish? You, I don't have no. much okay. going on other than just seeing clients and doing all those things. I will be actually closing my books to new astrology clients at the end of this year um, as I'm focusing more and more on counselling. So if you want to become a client, I would suggest, yeah, booking in. Getting in. Yeah. Getting in awesome, Leash. December that's great. 31st, 2022 yes. Leash. Yes. Go, girl. Um, that's exciting. I I do have my classes going. We've got uh, some chart interpretation classes running and some timing classes that will kick off in early 2023. So all the details about that are on the website. But the big thing that I want to make sure I'm telling people about because I'm terrible at the marketing side is my monthly astrology guide membership, which gives you six videos about all the astrology happening each month. So if you're interested in timing your life with astrology, or if you want to get better at understanding planetary aspects and transits, that astrology membership is really affordable, really accessible, and you get lots of content to help you both navigate day-to-day life, but also improve your astrology. So you can find out more on the website, kellysastrology.com for that as well. That's cool. What about you, Cass? Oh, well, I'm still running my uh, group of students. So still teaching, um, doing plenty of writing and uh, yeah, I have my golden circle clubs. So that's probably where all of the, uh, where you'll find me the most. So again, similarly, it's guiding you through the astrology. We do monthly Q and A's, all sorts of good stuff there. So again, CassandraTindall.com is the place to find us and we'll pop all the uh, links and what have you in the show notes below. So thank you, girls. It's been wonderful to do this with you once again. So fun. And if anyone has any thoughts or yes, comments, you say. know, we'd love to see them below. Your thoughts about the the charts of what we've been um what we've been discussing. And then if there are any charts of people that you'd like us to look at in the future, let us yeah, that's know. a good idea. Um, mm. There's lots of really interesting people in the world. And of course, we have some people that we're interested in. But if there are charts of people that you want to look at, the only challenge, because I know I've uh, we've asked this before, is we do have to have a birth time or a birth chart. Mm. So yeah. that can yeah. be the trick sometimes. But yeah, let us know and make sure you subscribe wherever you're listening to this uh, episode. Cool. Thanks, guys. See you later, everyone. Thanks for listening.